Good morning. Would you please open with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, and I'll read for us verses 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, Faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us this morning to worship you and to Uphold your glory, namely in and through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, would he be applied to us this morning as we read your word. Your word and your spirit are sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that you would convict us of sin. You would encourage us in faithfulness. And Father, that you would, for our sanctification and your glory, draw us nearer to yourself. Help us to rightly understand and apply this text to our lives and our church this morning. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, lest we've forgotten our way, jump down really quickly, just a couple verses to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and read with me verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. We see here why Paul has written this letter to young Timothy, so that he may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, in the church. That's what we've been studying for this past month or so what God's church is supposed to look like. We've seen the centrality of the gospel and gospel preaching in a church. We've seen how the household of God is to be structured, how important families are and men and women, husbands and wives interact and and fellowship with one another within the church. Last week, Mike preached on how the church and why the church is to have elders, a crucial role they play within the church as teachers, and preachers of God's word. This morning, we're looking at why we also need deacons, what deacons are to do. But have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why the structure and the organization of the church is so important? Something Paul in the New Testament talks quite a bit about. You see, Paul understood that both the gospel and the church are intimately connected. As soon as you mess with one, you inevitably start messing with the other. 
As soon as you start to pull away pieces of the church, you also pull away pieces of the gospel. As soon as you fumble on parts of the gospel, you begin fumbling on what it means to be a church. The two go hand in hand. Think about it. It's the gospel that saves people out of a darkened, fallen, and sinful world and saves them into the church. But at the same time, it's the church which God has ordained to protect the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, and to provide lovingly out of the gospel. Well, it's in this text this morning where we see a crucial aspect of this connection. Paul's instructions on instituting deacons within the church is part and parcel of how the gospel through the church is to be safeguarded and proclaimed, lived out and applied well. So let's see how this works. I want to first give some brief background context looking at what deacons are to do and and broadly looking at the New Testament of who they are. Uh, But then primarily, we're going to see three things. First, the need for deacons. Secondly, the person of a deacon. And thirdly, the benefits of being a deacon. The need for deacons, the person of a deacon, and the benefits for deacons. So, what is a deacon? The word comes from the Greek word diakonos. We get deacon out of that, which means basically a servant, a minister, a helper. Throughout the ancient world, the word was used to describe just plain old table waiters. Many times throughout the New Testament, the word is translated as minister or servant. But the New Testament also uses the word to describe a certain office within the local church. The book of Philippians, for example, begins by making this very distinction. Paul writes this in Philippians 1.1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So here he makes a distinction between the church as a whole and then those who serve within the church in an official manner, namely those who are elders and then those who are deacons. But perhaps even more telling is the account Luke writes for us in Acts chapter 6. The event described in Acts 6 is perhaps the seed that started and grew into this official distinction between the office of elder and deacon within the church. There, the first church at Jerusalem is growing. Many people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But because of this, there arises this conflict within the church. In one of the ministries that they had in serving widows in their church, a certain demographic of widows were being neglected. They weren't being treated fairly as other widows were. So this disunity within the church comes before the elders. Uh, This comes to their attention of the apostles, and, and, and the church in Jerusalem wants the apostles for them to give their effort to this problem. Fix it for us, they said. Well, here's what the apostles say. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, to be deacons. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here we see arise this official distinction between those who pray for and, and teach and preach the word in the church, and then those who are called to serve within the church, serving the physical needs of members, serving by showing mercy to the church, deacons. 
And yet it needs to be maintained here at the outset, lest we start forming in our minds some unhealthy distinctions, that nowhere in Scripture do we see a deacon as a second-rate elder. A deacon isn't somebody who hasn't quite made it to the level of elder yet. No, both are, are described in almost exactly the same way, and both are seen to be qualified by the same level of godliness and character. The two are gifted in different ways, yes, have different functions and different roles within the church, but there certainly isn't more value on one office than there is on the other. Perhaps what Jesus tells us in Matthew 26 serves us best in describing what a deacon does. In that well-loved passage where Jesus tells us, Come, ye who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And he says this, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Well, that's getting at the heart of what it means to be a deacon. A deacon is someone who is a servant of mercy for the needs of the church. A person who grows downward in humility to serve those who are the least of these. So that leads us to our first point. What are the needs that arise within a church that demand this role of deacon? Well, in this time where we are all wallowing in the fallen world that is here and awaiting the new heavens and new earth, the fall is still ruthlessly wreaking havoc upon our lives. Children are abandoned. Husbands die, leaving widows in need. Families lose homes. Grieving people need dinners made. On and on the list goes. Not only are there physical needs, there are also some of the more mundane issues. Financial budgeting, upkeep of facilities, running sound, preparing communion. On and on the list goes. Within the life of any given church, there are areas that need serious and diligent oversight, which elders who have given themselves to shepherding and teaching cannot always be intimately engaged in. And this is good for the church, actually. It's good for the gospel. I think it's good for the city of Greenbelt. In fact, I'm convinced that the city of Greenbelt needs the church of Greenbelt Baptist to need good elders and deacons. Their services enable the church to better proclaim the gospel. Their service allows elders to better engage the congregation and train the congregation in how to be a witness and evangelize better. I think we've seen some of this already in our church. There have been men and women serving behind the scenes here at Greenbelt Baptist Church, which we've all benefited from, whether we know it or not, even here this morning. The fact that our church building is warm and comfortable this morning, someone was here early working behind the scenes to make sure that we could be here now. The children, toddlers, infants are being cared for, taught, protected, and prayed over. 
Uh, people are behind the scenes, serving in deacon-like roles, making that possible. When a family has a new baby, in need of meals being cooked and provided, deacons are there to help serve and care for them. All these things allow the church to worship well and helps the gospel, which we believe, to be proclaimed well. And you know what? It's good, very good, that this happened. It's the very people whom deacons are to be ministering to that God himself holds closest to his heart. Listen to Psalm 72, verses 12 and 13. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. God loves the needy. Or even better yet, listen to James 1, 27. James says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thus a deacon is above all the facilitator of pure religion, loving those and serving those who are in need, whom God counts closest to his heart. But there's a danger here. We may be tempted to think as a church that if we have good deacons who are doing this good work, well, then the rest of us are off the hook. And that would be the wrong conclusion to make. If the church has deacons, that doesn't mean that only the deacons love and serve those who are in need. No, we're all called to serve those in need. The role of the deacon, then, is to help facilitate and enable the whole church to be serving. We're all servants, and we should all be prayerfully considering how we might minister like deacons to others. So in a broad sense, you could say the office of a deacon is to help everyone else be better able to minister others themselves. That brings us to the second point. What kind of person should a deacon be? Who can be a deacon? That's the main point of this passage this morning. You'll notice that the qualifications here for a deacon are strikingly similar to that of an elder, except for one, maybe two crucial points. In fact, just like the qualifications for an elder... The list prescribed here should really describe the character of every growing Christian. If you read through these qualifications as we just did and think that you're off the hook from serving as a deacon because this passage really doesn't describe you, that's not good. This passage describes what Christian men and women should look like. Nonetheless, Paul does give us instruction on what to look for in people who might serve in the role of deacon. And the first thing Paul tells us is that a deacon must be dignified. This is really the same as what Paul said about elders back in verse 2, that they must be above reproach. They must have dignity before others, held in respect as a person who knows the ropes. They've walked around the block a few times, and they've done so wisely. And because of this, they're well respected. Their character and person are held high in dignity. What particularly makes a person dignified. Look at the rest of verse 8. They must not be double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, and not greedy for dishonest gain. To be somebody who is double-tongued is to be a person who uses their words to manipulate, who says one thing to one person, but something else entirely to another, and usually for personal gain. Be it slander, Gossip, dishonesty, 
None of these things should be true of a deacon. A deacon must be a person whose tongue spills forth love, truth, and the gospel. A dignified person has control over their tongue and, quite frankly, is more content to listen than he ever is to speak. To not be addicted to much wine describes a person who in dignity controls his thirst and is committed to sober-minded decisions. Paul in Ephesians 5 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, it would be the height of folly to put the finances of the church under the control of someone who cannot control their own intake of wine, but is instead controlled themselves by drunkenness. And then likewise, a dignified person is someone who is not greedy for dishonest gain. He's a man who's content with what he has and where the Lord has placed him in life. Or to give you an opposite example, a dignified man does not act like Judas Iscariot, a man who both manipulated and stole money, all to his eternal demise. Now, one of the big differences between a deacon and an elder is that a deacon does not need to be able to teach. That's described of an elder, but not the deacon. His duty within the church is partly there so that the elders can teach. But nonetheless, Paul tells us in verse 9 that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The word mystery is used by Paul throughout his letters uh, many times to describe something that was once hidden, but now because of Christ and the revealing work of the Holy Spirit uh, is known. It's become open. So holding to the mystery of the faith then is being able to hold with a clear conscience to the essential truths of the gospel. It's being able to confess honestly key gospel doctrines. In fact, we see Paul do this very thing just a couple verses down. Look at 1 Timothy 3.16. Paul says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness manifested in the flesh. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Here Paul tells us that the mystery is none other than the gospel, which he gives us in this brief brief confession of faith. So a deacon is a person who must be able to not only affirm it and say, yes, I believe this, but actually hold to it with a clear conscience. That means the gospel and the doctrines of the gospel controls his entire life. And that makes sense. Because in the midst of thinking through how best to serve people in the church, those who are in need, a deacon needs to be a person who is guided by the gospel in how he serves. Not pragmatism, not the newest bestseller on how to grow a church, not adopting successful business models and, and, and the charisma of the most effective CEOs, but solely by the doctrines found in Scripture and the example set by Christ in the gospel. He isn't... Therefore, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who back in chapter 1 have made a shipwreck of their faith by devoting themselves to wrong doctrines and thus to an unrighteous life. You know, it's one of those beautiful and ironic examples of Scripture where in the book of Acts, the man that arguably teaches perhaps the best theologically rich and most evangelistically powerful sermon is the person of Stephen, who is actually one of the first seven deacons chosen to serve tables. 
And though he wasn't called officially to be a teacher, you can see that he held with deep conviction to the mystery of the gospel. So much so that he proclaimed its truths to the world, and the world hearing him at that time hated him for it and killed him. He died preaching the gospel. That's the example scripture gives us of a good deacon. So I wouldn't want you to fall into the trap of thinking only elders and pastors are those people who need to be theologically minded. And the deacons are only people who can serve. No, every Christian needs to be robust in their theology, very theologically minded. Every Christian needs to be a person who humbly serves and dies to self to give for others. These two qualities are not exclusive, but go hand in hand. And yet, though these qualities are needed in every believer, Paul tells us people aspiring to the official deacon work need to be set apart and called as such. Look at verse 10. Paul says, let them be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. It seems within the context here that this is a test of character, of a person's reputation before the congregation. And again, this makes sense when under the pressures of ministry, the true nature of a person's heart will be revealed. And so before a church can call someone to serve within the pressures of gospel ministry as a deacon, his or her heart needs to be proven. It needs to be seen that he or she can withstand the hardships of ministry. Observe them, watch them. How do they act under pressure? You know what one of the best ways to do that is? It's to see how they function within their families. So that's what Paul says in verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. You see? Is this person of noble character at home, behind closed doors, just as he seems to be on Sunday mornings? What does this family look like? Is it in disarray, unhealthy, sinfully dysfunctional? Because that reveals a lot about a man. Or is he loving and leading his wife well, raising his children to know and fear the Lord? Does he lead his family in worship of God throughout the week, teaching his children to pray, reading the Bible aloud to his family, applying it to them? Because a man who is just a Christian on Sunday mornings is really no Christian at all. So deacons must manage their homes in godliness if they're ever to aspire in managing the household of God. Now, perhaps you've noticed I've skipped over verse 11. We see the ESV translate it this way. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. If you're reading the NIV, perhaps, this morning, the text there is translated this way. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy and everything. And the difference between using the word wives or women, which are really both good ways to translate the Greek word gune in the original text, shows the differing views there actually are on this verse. That is, some think of it this way. It's speaking about the wives of deacons and and, and the kind of person a deacon's wife needs to be. So their man is tested not only by how he manages his household, but also by what kind of wife he has since it very well may be that she'll be helping him in his deacon duties. When you call a man to be a deacon, you're in essence calling his helper with him, his wife. Since deacons aren't called to teach, that makes some sense. They'll be serving together. 
But others, maybe like the translators of the NIV, understand this to be strictly speaking about women. Women who were to be deaconesses. And thus, verse 11 uh, is the qualifications for them. Women who are dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, and faithful. Ironically, this also fits within the context a bit, since elders are those who need to be men, since they're the ones teaching and preaching. If deacons are not called to teach, then perhaps this really is speaking of women deacons. And the New Testament gives us evidence that there were female deacons. Example, Romans 16. Paul says this, writing about Phoebe, who is a deacon of the church in St. I think, however, we come down on this issue, the qualifications still stand for all women in the church. If you remember back in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul has already called all Christian women to be clothed in dignity, that is, in godliness and in good works. And we would certainly want women to aspire to serve in this way. We have deaconesses here at Greenbelt Baptist who do an outstanding job in their service, and we certainly want to encourage more women and men to pursue this calling. Well, we've seen why the church needs deacons. We've seen what kind of person a deacon needs to be. Now, what does Paul say are the benefits or the outcome of being a deacon? Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul highlights two significant benefits, one before the church and the other before God. The first benefit is that they gain a good standing for themselves. That is, there is an honor associated with them within the church. They're seen as people whom the congregation can trust precisely because of the work that they're doing. You see, helping those in need, faithfully overlooking the affairs of the church, providing mercy to those who are hurting, this fosters a sense of respect among the congregation, and hopefully even within the wider community. Secondly, deacons gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, their faith grows. They grow in Christian assurance. And again, this makes complete sense precisely because they have front row seats to seeing how God is working to help people within the church. They grow in their faith in Christ. Deacons, maybe more than anyone else, are privy to seeing how God's love is shown to those in need. In fact, they many times are used by God in showing his love to people. A deacon in this kind of position can't help but grow in his faith and assurance. He becomes bold in his walk in the gospel. But I want you to notice something, I think, kind of important. Verse 13 says that this is only true of those deacons who do what? Who serve well. This is important to notice because in many churches, it is merely the office of a deacon, the title that demands respect. Many churches, it's only the name tag and not the man behind the name tag. And so inevitably, the wrong people aspire for this office. They want the honor without really having to do the service. Or in other words, they desire the glory without having to bear their cross. And that's absolutely getting this passage, the role of deacon, and in fact the gospel backwards. But it's also important to notice this because in one real sense, no one can perfectly be a deacon. We all fail in many ways, and deacons are no different. But there's actually good news in this. In John chapter 13, 
we see Jesus do something which absolutely undercuts our temptation to find personal glory in being a deacon or a minister or whatever title, while at the same time allows us to be absolutely free in doing good deacon and ministerial work. If you remember in John 13, this is where Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, is sitting with his disciples, about to eat their last supper. As was the custom in those days, all the men would sit around a low table or even a blanket, which inevitably brought their feet near to the food. It's gross. And so many times there would be a servant around to help diners wash their feet. No such servant was present that night. And so we read with utter astonishment, when Jesus himself, the Lord of glory, the eternal and divine Son of God, stands up to stoop down to begin washing the dirty, travel-blistered feet of his disciples. It's, of course, in this act that we see a glimpse of the gospel. In his full stooping down to die a death he did not deserve for us, a dirty and sinful people. You see, the washing of their feet was only but a foretaste of something greater. The washing away of our sin. And listen to what Jesus says of this in John 13, verses 12 through 16. Quote, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, a deacon, is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Friends, as we consider what it means to call and have deacons within our church, may we all do so in the light of what Christ, our great and perfect deacon, has already done for us in serving us with his own life. Not only can we have forgiveness of sins and be freed from the guilt of our imperfections and our failures, but also we can be freed to give our all in serving others just as he, our king, has given his life for us. Friends, if you're here this morning and do not know this man, Christ Jesus, a man who is at once our king and our servant, I invite you to come and see him. Bring your dirty feet to be washed by our God. Bring your heart to be cleansed by his blood. He came to serve and die for you. And I pray you don't think yourself too good to need his service. Trust in him. Repent of your sins and believe in him. And know that he alone is the Savior, the servant of sinners. I began by mentioning how the structure of our church goes hand in hand with our display of the gospel. And I pray that we as a church might give ourselves to faithfully praying that Greenbelt Baptist Church would have faithful and godly elders as well as godly and humble deacons. Men and women who can give their lives in serving others even as Christ has served us. Not counting their own lives as important, but counting others as more important than themselves. If the gospel is that precious gem with which we want the world to take notice of, may we then be the church, be the setting and ring which holds it up well. Deacons, give your life in humble service of others. It displays the gospel of the love of Christ. Greenville Baptist, aspire to the hard work of washing what no one wants to wash of serving where no one wants to serve, even if your name is never named. It displays the gospel of the love of Christ. Indeed, may the gospel of Jesus Christ, our humble King and Savior, the perfect deacon ourself, 
be proclaimed to all. Indeed, may all glory be to Christ our King. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent your Son to be our great high deacon, that he has served us perfectly well in dying for us. And Lord, may we now, in worshipful response to him, give our lives not only on Sunday mornings to singing your praises, but giving our lives to serving others, dying to self, so that he might be made much of. We pray these things in his perfect name. Amen.